0: three two one oh my goodness good morning good afternoon whatever it is for you I hope you're having a fantastic day my name is Zach Shomler this is strong opinion sports episode 395 welcome in I uh, wore it's the most purple shirt I have it's like a very very light it's almost white purple uh to celebrate Lamar Jackson and the Ravens tonight Tonight it's it's 1.08 a.m. for me. It's already seven o'clock on the East Coast. The time changes. It it is what it is, and whatever, we're doing the best we can. I want to start today, obviously, by talking about Monday night football. So on Monday night football, the Baltimore Ravens beat the Colts 31 to 25 in overtime. There's a lot to break down, but the main story here today is Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. Oh man, uh I said after he beat Kansas City earlier this year, you have to change the way you look at Lamar. He's been good, he's won an MVP, but now you need to look at Lamar Jackson the same way you look at Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes. Like, you can never give him an opportunity to beat you, and he will if he can. I mean, he's he's this one of these legendary amazing quarterbacks. You have to give him the respect he deserves. And I don't understand why after all he's done that anybody still doubts him or the fact that people hate on him is very very weird to me. Uh, although I've reached the point where if you want to hate on or not believe in Lamar Jackson, that's your damage and your problem. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. You're stupid. And there's no logical reason to no longer believe in Lamar Jackson, but whatever. Have fun being stupid. Uh, Lamar is amazing. And last night on Monday Night Football, Lamar was 37 for 43 passing for 442 yards and four touchdowns. He also ran for 62 yards. I don't know if he had five yards lost due to sacks. I don't know if that actually offsets. As far as I can tell, some math nerd, either he got over 500 yards of total offense or he had like 499. Still, it's an insane night. He had six incomplete passes. Six. That's ridiculous. To throw the ball 43 times and only throw six incomplete passes is ridiculous. Again, there is no rational argument anyone can make against Lamar Jackson he's amazing and you have to embrace him the dude is winning throwing the football I love it I love it so much the Ravens were down 22 to 3 that is why I say you have to look at him like Patrick Mahomes like Russell Wilson he if you have Lamar on your team you always have a shot Lamar brought them back he had two touchdowns in the fourth quarter he also had two not one but two two point conversions and I think it's so cool that Lamar is proving everyone wrong who doubted him Myself included, I remember in the draft process in 2018, like not really being sure. And this is the NFL has changed a lot. Even since then, we've seen Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, like all these guys have done well. And I would hope that if I know what I know now about not about Lamar, but about the philosophy of how the quarterback position has changed in the recent years, I would hope that I would look at Lamar Jackson and go, oh, he's going to be amazing. But I remember in 2018, a much younger, much, uh, a much less experienced broadcaster, Zach Schaumler uh, in the past. I was not sure if he would work in the NFL. And, oh, oh, boy, he proved me wrong. He proved everybody wrong. And, yes, Lamar Jackson works very, very well in the NFL. And it's cool to see him evolve from – look at him in year one to where he is now. He's become so much better as a passer. And I love him, man. I love watching the guy play. I like his personality. I don't know how – I don't understand how people hate Lamar. I don't get it. I get it if you're, like, a Browns fan – or a Steelers fan. He's in your division. He beats your football team. But, I, I, you know, he's just such a clearly like a good, energetic, fun dude. I just, I can't understand how anyone hates Lamar Jackson, the human being. I'm like, oh, whatever. That's so crazy to me. Now, a lot of people were saying that the NFL's overtime is unfair. This game went to overtime on Monday Night Football. Baltimore got the ball first in overtime. They scored a touchdown in theory, the Colts offense never got an opportunity to respond to that, so the Colts, uh, you know, the Colts lost. And I gotta be honest, I never thought I would say this, but as I've thought about it more and marinated on it, and watched the years go by, and watch college football, watch the NFL, watch XFL football, the NFL overtime rules are actually weirdly growing on me. And I never thought I would say that. Here is why I think that the NFL overtime is a solid way to decide a winner for a football game. First of all, people are saying the Colts did not have an opportunity or they didn't have a fair shot to respond. People are saying that a lot. I'm like, well, uh, the Colts had the ball three times in the fourth quarter. They had a field goal blocked. They missed a field goal. They also had the whole game to score more than 25 points. It's not like the Colts never had an opportunity to win this football game. They also were up 22-3. to in the third quarter and lost. So I, I just think it's so silly and weird and wrong to blame overtime for the Colts losing. Also, remember, it's not like the Colts don't have a defense. They, they could have stopped Lamar Jackson in overtime. They didn't do that either. So the idea that the Colts just didn't get a fair opportunity. Well, again, they had four quarters. They had a, a defensive opportunity in the fourth quarter. They missed field goals and a block field goals. Come on. Get out of here! About the didn't have a, a fair shot to win. Yes, they did. If you can't win in four quarters, I'm, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, well, you had a whole shot. Now, now let's decide this game quickly, not let it linger on. Overtime in the NFL is a solid way to decide a winner quickly. You don't want these long five, six hour games like you have in baseball. You don't want. I watched a college football game was it last year where they had six overtimes, and you're like that's that's insane one two three this the, the hour it's like you're like two hours long on your football game you're like well these guys are getting hit more they're playing more plays every minute that a game goes into overtime and overtime keeps going it's another minute that guys in the NFL can get injured and you don't want to risk your body any more than you have to plus if you're gonna you know have six imagine if you had six NFL overtimes that's like another whole game you gotta you gotta pay people for that time you can't not pay them extra money for overtime which I You know, so I I don't know. It's interesting to me. It's another opportunity to get hurt financially and injury wise. NFL overtime is a very solid way to decide a winner. And if no one can win in overtime, look, you had four quarters and 10 minutes. If you can't win, then you get punished or the penalty is that you tie. And I just I kind of honestly look at the NFL and go, if you look at it from everybody wins. Yeah, it's it would be cool if there was a college overtime overtime. But that can go on and on and on, and so time-wise, financially, injury-wise, a ten-minute overtime, where if you can't win in ten minutes, you tie. I actually am starting to think that's not a terrible overtime rule, and I am beginning to embrace it. I never, I never, I've for years been critical of that, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, you know, they had a shot. They had they had so many opportunities to win. Like last week, if I guess last week, this this past weekend, if the Bengals and Packers game had been a tie, I wouldn't have said, well, nobody got a fair shot. I'd say they missed like seven field goals in overtime and the fourth quarter. Like, let's not pretend that nobody had an opportunity to win. I just don't know why. If you can't win in overtime and four quarters, I don't feel sorry for you. Now, I want to come out and support, 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 support. I said like Colts and support all in one word. I want to support the Colts quarterback, Carson Wentz. Carson is not the problem. Indy's one and four right now. It is not because of their quarterback. He's playing good football. Uh, against Baltimore he threw for over 400 yards, two touchdowns. You realize that Carson Wentz only has three turnovers in five games. He's playing really clean, really efficient, playing good football, two fumbles and an interception in five games. You can't blame Carson Wentz. Now injuries and uh you know, inj- like injuries first of all have been like really crazy in Indy they've been very unlucky. Uh, Even their kicker, Rodrigo Blankenship, their kicker is injured. If if they kickers, the whole team's hurt, including the kicker. That's ridiculous. So injuries have been a massive problem. Also, the secondary has been a really, real big problem with the Colts. Their secondary is awful. They're getting beat deep on, like, every play. And really what they need is to bring in a playmaker somehow. Uh, Ideally, I mean, the Colts, if Carson Wentz plays all year, they're going to have to give up a first-round pick to Philly. That's not good. Uh, So then they're hoping to get a... You hope that the Colts can get a steal in the draft, maybe. Uh, or they get lucky in free agency, get a deal there where maybe a guy is hurt and signs with them anyway. Like remember the Colts also don't have a lot of money they're gonna be able to spend in free agency. So, uh it's it's awful, man. You gotta blame the secondary and blame injuries, but you cannot blame Carson Wentz, the Colts quarterback, for the reason why they are one and four. Now, there was a play called the Colts made I wanna highlight. It was and by the way, it was on top of the fact that I hated for some reason, Matt Eberfluss, the Colts defensive coordinator, over and over and over again kept putting his like backup corner in one-on-one coverage. Like, what are you doing? He's gonna. He got beat by Hollywood Brown. It's it's infuriating to watch that. Let alone the way they defended Mark Andrews on both two-point conversions was ridiculous. Now that aside, there was a play third and eight on the 15-yard line with like five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Colts have the ball in the red zone and on. Third and eight, they ran the ball into the blitz. I don't know why. It's baffling. It's a waste of a play, in my opinion. They lose four yards running the ball on third and eight. They kick a field goal. It gets blocked. And I'm just like, well, that's a wasted opportunity. Third and eight on the 15-yard line. Throw the football. <laughs> why, are, why are you conceding a field goal there? You run the ball, hope you're going to kick a field goal and get out of there. That's so, it's very weird to me. And I get it. Hindsight 2020, if they'd kicked a field goal and made it, I I guess maybe I wouldn't criticize that, but it just feels like an opportunity where they let their foot off the gas a little bit, and you're on the 15-yard line. Why do you need—what's four yards, if you run the ball, going to do? Try to throw for the first down. If you get it, you get it, and and maybe they don't trust Carson Wentz. I don't know there, but they settled for a field goal, took their foot off the gas, and it cost them. That's a play that later in the year, when you look back, you're like, hmm, it's one of the many small opportunities the Colts have had this year. That led them to be one and four. They are a couple plays away from being four and one instead of one and four. It's pretty crazy. Now, this is a painful loss for the Colts, but if you look ahead at their next five games, they have the Texans, then the 49ers, who have a rookie quarterback, Trey Lance, then the Titans, then the Jets, and then the Jaguars. And again, if Jimmy Garoppolo is still hurt week seven, then the Colts are about to play four rookie quarterbacks in five games. That's very advantageous. That plays very well into their favor. So again, they're one and four now. The Colts could be five and four going into week 11 at Buffalo. I mean, it's not like the year is, it's been a really ugly year. One and four certainly is disappointing if you're a Colts fan. We, we had kind of high hopes. I'm not a Colts fan, but I had high hopes about the Colts with our new quarterback, Carson Wentz, and then injuries happened and some plays went the wrong way. But again, I want to remind people if Carson Wentz doesn't get hurt against the Rams, they might win that game. Like, there's been plays throughout this year where they're a play away, you know, a couple plays where if things go slightly differently, you're looking at a four and one football team, not a one and four football team. I'm not ready to. If people are calling for jobs in India. I'm like, what? 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 For you want to fire Frank Reich, who had Andrew Luck retire on him, then try to year with Philip Rivers. Now we traded for Carson Wentz. Like, Okay, uh, the GM is really good, Chris Ballard. The coach has done a really good job. I don't know why people are ready to bail on him already. Relax, put the pitchforks away in Indy and let it play out. I just think they've been really unlucky this year, and uh, they got a new quarterback they are still figuring things out with. I mean, Carson Wentz, you see him developing more and more chemistry every week. His chemistry with Mo Ali Ca- cox he had a great corner route to Mo Alley-Cox. We like, that's a great throw. And he's finally figuring out, oh, I can just throw it up to Michael Pittman Jr. and he can make everything happen the same way he did at USC. So I think Carson just needs time. He's getting better and better every week. He's gaining more and more chemistry with his guys. It's very weird to me that people are so eager to just throw this guy under the bus. Now, I do want to finally, the last thing I want to say, I want to give a shout out to the Ravens tight end, Mark Andrews. He had 11 catches for 147 yards, two touchdowns, and two of those catches were on two-point conversions so uh does that i don't think that even counts as a catch officially but still he had two catches on two-point conversions just an amazing day for mark andrews great for him and uh, i wanted to give mark andrews a shout out now um i want to play a video i took earlier in the day it's one that the video is pretty boring it's just of my computer behind me but what you hear in that video Oh, man, it will help you understand my life recently a lot. It's, it's a video. It's, we're in my, my apartment slash office, and uh, it's, you know, it's all the same thing. Anyway, take a listen right now. So that noise in the background has literally been going on for days, from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's been very, very challenging. That is a jackhammering noise that happens downstairs. The apartment below me is getting renovated. That's been a, uh, a big challenge in my life. On top of that, I want to be fully transparent. I've been having a hard time figuring out how to get an episode out on Monday morning. It's something I really want to do is get an episode out, ideally, at like 6 a.m., On Monday mornings and it's a balance of I want to make quality work and I don't want to sacrifice like I want to be quick but I don't want to sacrifice quality if it means I can be faster does that make sense I think a lot of people are they just get something out immediately I'm like well let's be thoughtful and do research and I just don't want to rush and sacrifice quality in favor of speed now I think I might shuffle things around next week I I think definitely if I just aim smaller and make a shorter episode on Mondays that's way more doable and I have a couple ideas to do that. Uh, maybe I'll do the noteworthy topic on Tuesday where I, you know, the noteworthy 11 this week is, it's a lot of research. You watch almost, <laughs> yeah, that's 11 football games I had to watch to make that topic. And uh, I I certainly do not want people to think I'm lazy. And I, I want people to know, like, I'm I really, I, I've been working my butt, you know, I just, what am I saying? I've been busting my tail trying to make this episode. It's taken a long time and i i feel like maybe i might be trying to fit too much into one episode and i know people like the long episode but i really think it matters to get something out on monday mornings and so i want to be fully transparent i have high expectations for this show and for myself and i really want to put an episode out on monday mornings it's a very very important thing to me it's a challenge i'm still figuring out but i wanted to be transparent let you know i that is something i'm still working on but it is something i'm still working on i really want to figure that out and uh Thank you for anybody who's been patient with me on that. I, you know, hey, it's Tuesday now. This will come out Tuesday morning, uh, but I love you. I appreciate you, and uh, I want you to know that I'm out there working really, really hard to get you the best show possible. Now, on Sunday night, the Buffalo Bills beat Kansas City 38-20. to And Look, I remember I got a lot of hate during the preseason when I said that KC was not the juggernaut they've been in recent years during the Patrick Mahomes era. And uh ha-ha, I was right. Now, I don't blame people. They get used to one reality. And when things change, it's hard for most people to adjust their focus. And people don't like change. They're used to one thing. And when reality shifts on them, they're like, no. But the reality is that Kansas City is two and three right now. And so far this year in five games, Patrick Mahomes has thrown as many interceptions as he did all of last year. That's six interceptions so far this year. And it's not entirely his fault. Remember, I I said this preseason, too. This is the worst roster that's been around Patrick Mahomes in the entire Mahomes era in Kansas City. And they end up down in games, and he's been taking bigger and bigger risks trying to make his team competitive and helping them win football games. And uh, despite not being as good this year, like Kansas City taking, you know, Getting a notch lower and it, it being not quite as good means they're a, instead of a Super Bowl team, they're probably a playoff team and then a wild card team. And I want to ask who out there wants to play Kansas City wild card weekend? I, if I had a favorite team, I would not want my team to play Kansas City wild card weekend. And really, all it's going to take is for, you know, Kansas City just needs a shot. And if they do that, they can go on a run, anything can happen. But against Buffalo, And so far this year, Kansas City's secondary has been having a hard time, especially Josh Allen made them look really bad. Been struggling all year, Uh, not to mention then Patrick Mahomes had three turnovers in the second half. On top of that, their running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he got hurt. He's going to be out for a couple weeks with a really ugly knee injury. And I watched this game and thought, my goodness, think about Buffalo and the Chargers and the AFC Championship game. That'd be really, really fun. Josh Allen on the same field as Justin Herbert would be really, really cool. That or maybe Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. Like, the the possibilities in the AFC right now for the AFC title game, it's going to be really fun and really competitive. Uh, But I just – look, there was this crazy long delay, thunder and lightning uh, at halftime, over an hour and ten minutes of not playing. You're in your pads. You're trying to stay loose and trying to stay warm. Kansas City and Buffalo – and when that happens, you often end up basically seeing two different football games. You have this long break and you gotta recalibrate and find a way to you know recharge yourself. I, you know, I had a couple of lightning delays there in my career. And I think of the Super Bowl between the 49ers and Baltimore as a good example where there's this big blackout during the Super Bowl and momentum really shifted from the 49ers in favor of the Ravens instead, and the Ravens won that Super Bowl. And you gotta give credit to Buffalo on, on Sunday night football. If you would consider this two games where there's a first half, then an hour and 10 minutes delay, then a second half, that's basically another game you got to prepare for. Buffalo dominated both in the first half and the second half. Buffalo did not skip a beat. They were fantastic. And I also want to say, I love the strategy Buffalo has on the defensive line where they have these like nine or 10 guys that they rotate in and out all game. Ed Oliver, Greg Russo, Jerry Hughes, Justin Zimmer, Starlo Tulele. Mario Addison, A.J. Epinesa, Boogie Basham, and then Vernon Butler's hurt. But when he's healthy, he gets a lot of snaps, too. And Buffalo always has rested and fresh defensive linemen who are ready and, and not tired and can get after the quarterback. And most teams simply do not have this many quality guys who can get snaps on the defensive line. Now, Buffalo doesn't have a real star. There's no J.J. Watt. There's no uh, Chandler Jones. There's no T.J. Watt on this defense. Although I will say that Gregory Rousseau, the young rookie defensive end, is really, really emerging. He had a a play where he picked off Patrick Mahomes on Sunday night. He's got three sacks. He's a starter. And it's been really cool to see Gregory Rousseau kind of grow from the start of the year where he was just a young rookie to now he's already a defensive playmaker. Five games in, you're like, oh my gosh, Gregory Rousseau is making play after play and Really impressive to watch. And again, I just want to give a shout out to the strategy on the defensive line for Buffalo. Also, we have receiver. I want to give a, I want to talk about Emmanuel Sanders who he came over from New Orleans last year, or I guess he was in New Orleans last year. He came over to Buffalo in the off season. And last year he was not a big playmaker playing with Drew Brees and the Saints. And I, I thought maybe Emmanuel Sanders would be, you know, might be washed up watching him on the oh, He's just not doing very much. And I'm realizing a lot of why I was not that impressed with Emmanuel Sanders last year, simply because he was playing with an aging Drew Brees. And this year in Buffalo, playing with Josh Allen, oh my gosh, Emmanuel Sanders, he's being elevated. He looks fantastic. He's already got four touchdowns in five games. And then Josh Allen, oh man, against Buffalo, Josh Allen was the better quarterback on Sunday night. Like... I, I I did not expect to say that, hey, Josh Allen already is playing better at times than Patrick Mahomes, but he is. He can run. He can throw. He had a long touchdown pass to Emmanuel Sanders. And after five games, I've learned that the two best teams in the AFC are the Chargers and the Bills. And then right behind them, you got uh, Cleveland and Baltimore competing. And, I, man, I just am so excited for the way the AFC is going to play out. We're going to get an amazing AFC Championship game, no matter how things work out, and uh, it's going to be just outstanding. But Josh Allen, man, I, I I did not expect him to play way better than Patrick Mahomes on Sunday night. He did. They won thirty-eight to twenty, and uh, Josh Allen, man, is just. I, I would love to. See, it'd be cool if he won an MVP this year. Like it would be really awesome to see him get some of the respect he's deserved because man, he's playing such good football. And again, like the comparison, Josh Allen and Justin Herbert are. Uh, I want that matchup so, so bad in the NFL playoffs. I'll I'll do whatever it takes to make that up, and that would be so much fun to watch. Now, uh, I already covered Buffalo at Kansas City and Monday Night Football, the Colts at Baltimore, but there are 11 other things that happened during NFL Week 5 I want to talk about. Number one is this. I want to give some respect to Giants rookie receiver Kadarius Toney. Uh, I did a topic last week called redrafting the Giants. And I kind of talked some smack about the Giants drafting him. Well, uh, <laughs> during NFL Week 5 against Dallas, Kadarius Tony had 10 catches for 189 yards. That's outstanding. Uh, I guess I stand corrected. He was really working hard to justify himself being drafted with the number 20 overall pick. And it's also kind of funny. He got ejected from this game with six minutes left. So in theory, he could have had another catch and maybe a couple more yards if he'd played the entire game. And uh, he punched someone in the fourth quarter. I don't know what happened there. But Kadarius Toney, I want to give him respect. I, I talked smack, and it's almost like he heard it. I, surely he did not, but uh, Kadarius Toney played outstanding during Week 5 against Dallas. And it uh, got my attention, and I'm very, very excited to see Kadarius Toney play more the rest of this year. Also in this game, Giants at Dallas. Uh, Daniel Jones, a Giants quarterback, got a concussion. That's really bad. And then their running back, Saquon Barkley, got an ankle injury. So if you're a Giants fan... Uh, I hope you are doing okay, because I, I worry about you guys and uh, your mental health. Uh, and then also, shout out to Cowboys corner Trevon Diggs. He had another interception against the Giants. He now has six interceptions in five games. It's just ridiculous. He's playing very, very well. Trevon Diggs, uh, man, I, he, is he the best Diggs, brother? Like They were talking about that during the Kansas City-Buffalo game on Sunday night. They're like, well, Trevon Diggs is really good. Is his brother, Trevon Diggs, an even better football player? It's just, man, I, it's so cool to see a guy who, in college, he got switched from receiver to corner and was upset about it. And now he's, like, playing outstanding, one of the best young corners in the NFL. And uh, just, hey, round of applause for Trevon Diggs playing very, very well so far this year. Now, number two, the Denver Broncos lost to Pittsburgh 27-19. to And, uh, look, man, I am losing all confidence in Denver. I've been talking him up all year, and... Last week, Teddy Bridgewater, their quarterback, got a concussion, didn't play in the second half. And I'm like, well, okay, let's just hang on and see how they do when their quarterback plays an entire game. I said it's hard to judge their quarterback—or hard to judge Denver without their starting quarterback, you know, for half the game. It's a bit harsh. Now, this week against Pittsburgh, did Teddy Bridgewater play the entire game? Yep. And uh, did Denver dominate? No, they did not. They lost. They lost. And I got to say, we'll see how the year goes. But if the rest of the year for Denver is anything like what we saw during NFL Week 5, where this team is good, but they're not winning and it's not going well, then you got to move on from Vic Fangio, the head coach, and you got to get a new quarterback. And I just, uh, there's too much talent on this Denver team. They're, they're so good everywhere. There's talent across the board. They have to win football games, and you cannot be held back by your coach and your quarterback. They need to be winning, and I, I fear that we're learning this year that when Denver plays an opponent that isn't awful, you know they they beat the Giants, the Jets, and the Jaguars this year. I, I'm worried that when they play a team that isn't terrible, they can't win. I can't believe Denver's defense made Big Ben look good, and that Vic Fangio. The head coach of the Broncos is supposed to be a defensive guy. I'm like, what's going on? It's supposed to be a strong suit. Now, the next two weeks for Denver, they're really, really big. You play the Raiders, who just lost their head coach. And, I mean, Derek Carr isn't playing well, but that's it. I mean, you, you got to beat the Raiders next week. And then you play at Cleveland in two weeks from now. So those are two opportunities for Denver to gain my respect. But again, I am I'm not only lukewarm on Denver, I'm cooling. Like I, I am really not impressed with what's been going on in Denver so far this year. Uh, You know, three victories over terrible football teams does not impress me at all. Also, by the way, Steelers receiver in this game, Juju Smith-Schuster got hurt. He's out for the year. So if you're a Steelers fan, I'm sorry for you guys. I feel bad. Okay, number three, Philly beat Carolina 21 to 18. It's a great win for Philly. I was so happy for Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts. This was not his best game, but he did run for two touchdowns. Had a great two-point conversion. And there was a play that is not going to get any love or talked about or not going to get any respect, but there was a play where the ball got snapped over Jalen Hurts' head and landed in his own end zone. And you got to credit Jalen for fighting uh, and knocking the ball around and getting it out of bounds. Uh, it was really, you know, it was a safety for Carolina. Only gave him two points. If that had been a touchdown, that really would have been the play that, I mean, that w- that's the difference in the game. If that play is a touchdown instead of a safety, the Eagles would have lost rather than won. And so if you're a Philly fan, don't forget that that Jalen hurts made that little play that really mattered later. Now, Panthers quarterback Sam Darnold had three interceptions. That's big, that can't happen. Uh, they were ugly too. They weren't like it wasn't like they bounced off a receiver's helmet or something. They were like just not good decisions and not good throws. And overall, when Carolina was three and0, I remember saying, like hey, relax, slow down. Panther fans, temper your expectations. People are all angry, but I'm like, well, guys, come on. You're you're a passionate fan. I'm fan is a root of the word fanatical, which is a little bit not fully rational. And uh, now Carolina has lost two games in a row. It's not a shock. I had Carolina going seven and ten this year, and there is a lot to be excited about if you're a Panthers fan. But don't forget, they're still rebuilding. It's okay. Don't panic. You're still three and two. You got a, a good future ahead of you, but. If you lose a bunch of games this year, again, I had them going seven and ten. I'm excited about their future. Things are going well, but that three and zero wasn't going to last forever. They weren't going to be undefeated all year, and uh, losing the Phillies is an example of that. Number four, shockingly, the Patriots barely beat the Houston Texans 25 to 22 during NFL Week Five. Uh, and first of all, the Patriots were missing four of their five starters on the offensive line. Still, though, their defense really surprised me. I was, I guess, like, disappointed in their defense. I was shocked. Houston, at one point, had a 22-9 lead in the second half of this football game. Texans quarterback, a rookie, Davis Mills, a third-round pick, looked really, really good against Bill Belichick's defense. He was 21 for 29 passing, 312 yards, three touchdowns. I have never seen a rookie quarterback play better against a Bill Belichick defense than I saw Davis Mills play during NFL week five of 2021. And uh, remember like last year, Belichick with a Patriots team that I think everyone would agree is it was a worse Patriots team than they have this year. Last year, Belichick beat Justin Herbert 45 to zero. So when I say it's the best I've ever seen a rookie quarterback play against Bill Belichick, remember Justin Herbert got destroyed last year, like Davis Mills, had a really, really impressive performance during NFL Week 5. Now, the turning point in this game, I thought, was a self-inflicted wound by Houston. They tried to get cute, tried a little trick play bluff, and then they punted, and the punt got blocked. And it gave the Patriots great field position. That shifted all the momentum of the game towards New England. And it's crazy to say, like, Houston probably should have beat New England, but it's true. Now, the Texans' kicker missed a field goal and two extra points— that's the difference in the game. If you, if you make those field goals and if you make that field goal and the two extra points, Houston would have won that football game. So I, I think it's a rare win that was a surprise. I mean, I, I just thought Houston should have won. It was an ugly ugly, foot, uh, ugly, ugly win for the New England Patriots. They had a fumble on the goal line. Now, the one positive thing you can say if you're a Patriots fan is well, at least our young quarterback, our rookie quarterback, Mac Jones, led the game winning drive in the fourth quarter. But again, it was a really, really ugly win for New England. Number five, let's talk about Tom Brady for a second. We talked about New England. We might as well talk about their former quarterback. Against Miami, Tom Brady was 30 for 41 passing with 411 yards and five touchdowns. I think Tom Brady's actually underappreciated. Do you realize he is 44 years old? (laughs) Like, it's unbelievable what Tom Brady's doing. And he might be playing the best football of his career, which is insane. So, I just think we are we're seeing this really, really incredible, impressive performance right in front of us. Tom Brady, forty-four years old, again, maybe playing the best football of his career, and somehow, I think, like I put on a uh, on my Instagram story a while back, like write in some of the players who are underrated in the NFL, and I would actually say that I think, weirdly enough, Tom Brady somehow still is underrated. Like playing as well as his he is at forty four years old should get talked about even more. Now number six, the Saints beat Washington thirty three to twenty two. And I'll be honest, I still do not know what to make of New Orleans this year. They've got a good defense. They're three and two. They're a solid football team. And maybe that's what it is. They're they're solid. But I still think they haven't reached their potential. And on Sunday Saints quarterback Jameis Winston had Four touchdowns. He also had a really ugly bad interception on the first possession of the game. And he was 15 for 30 passing. That's only a 50% completion percentage. And I just wonder, like, is Jameis capable of playing clean and efficient football? Maybe not. You would think if anyone can get that out of him, it's the Saints head coach, Sean Payton. And probably not, because we've seen you know, Jameis play his entire career and he's always been not the efficient guy. Like he, He's the guy who threw... 33 touchdowns, and 30 interceptions. So it's not a shock to see Jameis Winston not playing clean, efficient football. I just wonder, is there ever going to be a moment where Jameis, it clicks for him, and he's not just a 50% completion percentage guy? I don't know. I'd love to see that. Now, Washington quarterback Taylor Heineke, he's fun to watch. Uh, He made some good throws. He converted a fourth and 14 in this game. But Taylor Heineke also had two really ugly interceptions. He had a fade on the goal line he underthrew got picked off and then later he had a deep ball way in his own territory i want to maintain that yes taylor heineke is a fun quarterback to watch but he's a duct tape quarterback what that means is he's good enough until you find a franchise quarterback you know but duct tape doesn't last forever and i would not build around washington's quarterback taylor heineke he's fine he's good for now but you're always still going to be looking for your next franchise quarterback, a Justin Herbert type quarterback. And by the way, think about this. Washington, they got Chase Young, they love him. Washington passed on Justin Herbert too. Like we there are a lot of teams passed on Justin Herbert and you're like, "Oh, man." Imagine if Washington right now had Justin Herbert at quarterback. I mean, it's just wouldn't you love to have him? It's just the only team that I think could have passed on Justin Herbert and not regretted it is the Bengals who got Joe Burrow. So, and that, that's even one one. Like, they're happy. Like, we're not going to argue that. Just shut up and be happy with just uh, Joe Burrow. But still, man, it's like, wow. Now, number seven, the Bears beat the Raiders 20-9. to nine. Uh, nine points is another disappointing performance for the Raiders' offense. Although, you know, obviously, they had a lot of stuff going on off the field with their head coach, Sean Gruden. You would assume that played into their struggles on the field. Uh, but in the first quarter, they got on the goal line. They had to settle for a field goal. And then later, the Raiders got stopped on fourth and one. Brian Edwards, uh, their, run, uh, their receiver, had a big drop. And again, I just I maintain, I, I think the John Gruden stuff really affected the Raiders against Chicago. Now, it is kind of funny that John Gruden's final game in the NFL as a head coach, he lost to Khalil Mack. It's like, oh, of course that's how it happened. It's kind of funny there. Uh, I saw that. That was a tweet from Brandon Perna I saw. Either way, the Raiders, they play at Denver next week. Uh, It's a big game for both teams. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. How does Derek Carr bounce back, given all that's happened? And then Bears rookie quarterback Justin Fields won his second start in a row. It's like, oh, wait, Justin Fields, very quietly, he had a terrible start to his career against Cleveland, but then beat Detroit last week. He beats the Raiders in Week 5. And things are starting to seem kind of, you know, all right-ish if you're a Chicago Bears fan. Justin Fields was 12 for 20 passing, 111 yards, threw a touchdown. And uh, he did hyperextend his knee. That's disappointing. And I want to see him run more. And so that means because of the knee injury, we're probably not going to see Justin Fields run around even more. But uh, I, I expect we won't. But I, I am just, I, every week I'm like, when is Justin Fields going to run around and make a big play? And it still it hasn't happened. And it's probably now not going to happen based on the injury. Number eight, the Vikings beat the Lions 19-17 to with a last-second field goal. And uh, good for Minnesota. They've got a shot now to save their season. They are 2-3, and, and we'll see how the rest of the year goes for Minnesota. But Detroit is 0-5. And, man, like, the Lions have been so close to winning. Like, every game, I'm like, ah! Remember, remember, like, this team had the lead at halftime over Green Bay. Detroit is not Awful. They're, the record says they're awful, but I don't care about outcomes. I, I do, but you also have to look at context. And the context is, hey, Detroit's being held back by their quarterback, Jared Goff. Turnovers are killing Jared Goff. He had a fumble and an interception this week against Minnesota, infield goal range. That that cost you the game. And if Detroit can draft the right quarterback, then they're going to win some of these close games. I mean, think about this. Imagine if... Detroit brings in Liberty quarterback Malik Willis. You let Jared Goff start week one next year. You wait until Malik Willis is healthy. But I I really believe that Detroit is closer to winning than people realize. And right now the main problem is their quarterback, Jared Goff. He's got too many turnovers and crucial moments, and he's he's getting points are being taken off the board because of Jared Goff mistakes. And number nine, the Cardinals beat the 49ers 17 to 10. Arizona is 5 0. The more I see them every week, the more impressive they get. Rondell Moore had a crazy catch along the sideline, getting one foot in when then dragging the other one is ridiculous. And then Dandre Hopkins had two really big catches. One of them was a monster touchdown catch over Josh Norman on the goal line. So next week, Arizona plays at Cleveland. I cannot wait for that. Look, Baker Mayfield against Kyler Murray, two former Oklahoma quarterbacks. Arizona on the road at Cleveland. Can they stay undefeated against a really good Cleveland Browns football team? That'll be really, really cool to see. Now, 49ers quarterback Trey Lance made his first ever NFL start this week. And I don't want to overreact. I think 49ers fans just got to be patient. Uh, There were some good plays. There were some bad plays. Clearly, Trey Lance is very, very talented. And I would encourage people to remember back to the way Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen, played in year one. Like, statistically, Josh Rosen and Josh Allen in their rookie year were very, very similar. Like, Josh Allen was not a world beater during year one in Buffalo. And it took him a while. But now Josh Allen is an MVP candidate. So stay pat. It's okay. Be patient. Because now you have, you know, I, I thought on Sunday night, Josh Allen outplayed Patrick Mahomes. Like, let Trey Lance develop the same way that Josh Allen was given time to develop in Buffalo. Be patient, let him let it give it time cuz if you do, I think Trey Lance can develop into a star quarterback who dominates in the NFL the same way you have Josh Allen and Justin Herbert playing very very well. Just be patient if you're a 49er fan. And number 10, the Chargers beat the Browns 47 to 42. And uh, first of all, this is a game that in the past, under a different head coach and with a different quarterback, the Chargers would have lost. Like two years ago, Phillip Rivers, Anthony Lynn, the Chargers would have lost in a close game like this. And then two years ago, Cleveland, they would have got blown out 47 to 14. Like Cleveland, think about how far LA and Cleveland have come. The Chargers are a better organization. I think Cleveland's come even farther, where Cleveland was just a terrible, terrible organization. And they're three and two. They've got the, the Cleveland Browns fans were very disappointed. They lost this game. Fair enough. You get to be disappointed. But I will say, like, don't forget how far you have come. It's really cool to see the Browns even being competitive at all, let alone almost beating probably the best team in the AFC. Like that's fantastic. Both teams are now heavyweights in the AFC. I would love to see a matchup, uh, like a rematch, I guess, of LA and Cleveland in the playoffs later. Like. That would be a very, very fun divisional round game or an AFC title game between, you know, Cleveland and LA, the Chargers and Browns would be really, really fun to see. Uh, I just, I mean, I'll take Justin Herbert against anybody in the uh, AFC title game would be a blast. Now it's a bit weird. I see people, especially Browns fans, blaming their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, for this loss. And uh, I don't know, Baker scored 42 points, had zero turnovers. I thought that Baker certainly did enough to win that football game. And if anything, if you want someone to blame, if you're a Browns fan, you're looking for someone to blame for that loss during week five, remember that on third and five with two minutes and 55 seconds to go, Browns coach Kevin Stefanski ran the ball. I'm like, why? What do you, why? For some reason, he just conceded the possession, punted the ball away back to Justin Herbert. Why would you willingly give the ball to Justin Herbert at the end of a game? I have no idea. Very bizarre and I just want to remind people, if you're looking for someone to blame in Cleveland, it might be Kevin Stefanski. Don't blame Baker Mayfield. Blame the coach for that call. That was very, very weird. Now, number 11, I saved the best for last. The Packers beat the Bengals 25-22 to in overtime. This was a crazy game. Joe Burrow and Aaron Rodgers playing on the same field in the same game. I was hoping for fun. We got that. Uh, it was also very bizarre. Neither team could hit a field goal in the fourth quarter or in overtime. Green Bay's kicker missed two field goals at the end of the fourth quarter. Then he missed another one in overtime. Bengals kicker Evan McPherson missed the game-winning kick two times, one in the fourth quarter, and then again in overtime. Eventually, Green Bay kicker Mason Crosby redeemed himself and hit the game-winning kick in overtime. So Green Bay won. But walking away from this game, a couple things come to mind. First of all, Aaron Rodgers. Wow. Wow. Wow, I love, love watching Aaron Rodgers play football. Hit this beautiful deep ball down the middle too, Devontae Adams. Chef's kiss, it was fantastic. Devontae Adams had 11 catches for 206 yards and a touchdown. Also, there's another Packers receiver you got to talk about. Randall Cobb had a catch in overtime. It set up the game-winning field goal, third and 16. Crucial catch between two defenders, brought the ball in. And uh, Aaron Rodgers really, really wanted the Packers to bring in Randall Cobb. It's already paying off. That's very cool and very exciting. Now, Bengals receiver, the other, on, on the other side, Jamar Chase had a crazy day, too. He had six catches for 159 yards. He had a 70-yard touchdown catch with 36 seconds before halftime. It was like, oh, my gosh. Joe, Joe Burrow extends a play. Jamar Chase runs across the field. Bang, deep ball, touchdown. You're like, wow, that guy is really, really good at football. And then he also had a crazy back shoulder catch along the sideline. Got both feet in. Jamar Chase is amazing. And uh, I think watching the Bengals, I finally accepted that if I had to pick one quarterback that was my favorite quarterback to watch in the NFL, it would be Joe Burrow. I I love the guy. He's so much fun to watch. His swagger, his confidence, the way he carries himself. He makes plays, man. Like, Joe Burrow is a—I don't know the word. Like, he's just so— dominating. I love like he's competitive. You can see it. I love I, I will always remember that sound bite from last week where he was like, play me cover zero. I dare you. You know, um, I kind of I kind of want to get a Joe Burrow jersey. I think Bengals fans think I hate Cincinnati. That could not be farther from the truth. It's one of my favorite cities in America, probably it's Honolulu, than Cincinnati. I'm, I'm weird like that. I have favorites and I, I have no problem saying that. Um, I love watching the guy and uh, Joe Burrow is fantastic. So that is the noteworthy 11 for NFL week five. Okay, let's shift gears. Big story in the NFL today. It's going to be a weird tonal shift because I'm, I'm like, I can feel myself kind of excited. I'm having a good time talking football, my favorite thing in the world. And I'm, gonna, I'm about to play a video where, so the story is I sat in my office earlier today and I thought to myself that if I listen to a podcast about sports, I would want someone who is authentic and honest and I I felt this sense of fear and and I realized like I had to kind of challenge myself like what kind of show do I want this to be? And as I learned of who John Gruden is, I felt sad and disappointed and I want that very, very clear. Like I I was sad because I, I really loved John Gruden as a kid. I remember watching... Gruden's quarterback camp. I was a young quarterback watching Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck and Brandon Weed and all these guys go, and I learned about X's and O's. And I, I remember watching Monday Night Football with my dad, and John Gruden was there as I grew up. And and then I was sad. I literally sat down in my office, and I, I was feeling this panic and sense of, you know, what do I say, and can I even cover this topic? And um, I, I you know, I guess I was sad about the state of our society because I was scared, you know can I talk about this topic at all? Like, I, I've got fear of being able to say my opinion and, uh, and share my thoughts. And I'm always afraid of people taking what I say out of context or misinterpreting it and uh, coming after me and attacking me. And I, I kind of just want to be able to talk openly. And so that is how I ended up recording this next segment. It's a segment where I just, I literally sat down, I had like three bullet points and I just shared my heart of how I felt given the John Gruden news that came out. Uh, one thing I didn't say, I regret, I didn't say this during the the video I recorded is that, uh, you know, last week news came out of a really bad, embarrassing John Gruden email. And I was like, well, it's 10 years ago. Like fine. A mistake is a mistake. I'm sure I said dumb stuff when I was, you know, 10 years ago, I was what I'm 24 now. I was 14 years old, 10 years ago. So I have no doubt. I said ridiculous, stupid stuff when I was 14, 10 years ago, if I'm going to judge myself that way, uh, then John Gruden said dumb stuff 10 years ago. Look, society has changed so much. Maybe he got – a lot can change in 10 years, whatever. But then we learned, oh, it's not just one email that was a mistake. It's like a bunch of them. And, oh, they're not 10 years old. They're from like three years ago. And three years ago, you know, if you're saying dumb stuff then three years ago, you know you're you're probably not supposed to say that. So uh, I I felt like my my eyes were opened up, and that's the detail I didn't say already put this video on YouTube I, I want people to uh, listen to what I have to say in its entirety and uh I, I I would really appreciate if you can listen to everything and not take what I say out of context like listen to the context of what I'm saying and how I say it I'm nervous about this I um you know I I I, I don't think this is political but I I don't know I, I I just this is one that I would have felt weird if I didn't cover so anyway enjoy this next topic I'm gonna play it right now here we go I'm recording this segment separate from the rest of the show. I'll be honest. I don't know if I'm going to even release it. Um, I've been talking now for 17 minutes about this, and I I still can't figure out how to put what I want to say to words, really. Um, I, but I, I realized, like, I was trying to sit down and write and prepare a segment about John Gruden, and I started crying, actually, uh, like, out of, out of stress and anger and just like a smattering of emotions. And I thought maybe if I sit down and talk through them, it would help. Uh, the big story today is that Raiders head coach, John Gruden resigned. Uh, a bunch of emails leaked of him saying horrible, horrible stuff, misogynistic, racist, homophobic things. And, um, you know, I, I look around at my life and I think of my friend, Marcel, uh, who such a wonderful human being. And, uh, you know, I think of my fiance, I think of my, my friend, Arthur, uh, whose husband, Brian is fantastic. And those are all people in groups that John Gruden's comments, um, like attack and, you know, are, say you know, it, 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 I, I don't know. I, I wonder, like, did I not know the real John Gruden? Now, here's a statement John Gruden released. He said, I've resigned as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I love the Raiders and do not want to be a distraction. Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Raider Nation. I'm sorry. I never meant to hurt anyone. And uh, look, this story is hot dynamite. It's going to be probably in the news for a long time. Uh, John Gruden's career is over. And I I called some people in my life when when there was a big story that is sports, but indirectly sports. It's about someone in sports who did something naughty. I I call people like, what do you think? How should I cover it? And most of the time I would not. Like, honestly, I I, I should not cover the John Gruden story. There's nothing I can add. There is nothing I can say that, like, all you can say is what he said is terrible. Those emails are awful and shameful and everyone's going to call him a terrible person and move on. Um and I I'm so torn because I we live in an environment where it's not safe to have a nuanced conversation. Like it's it's not safe. People take sound bites out of what people say. People love to take stuff out of context and every day I feel pressure to make sure I don't say the wrong thing. And uh, I love my job. I love my job so much. I, I'm so grateful for the life I live. I, uh, and, and part of that, I, I feel this challenge in my heart that, that I tell myself, like, the reason why I do what I do for myself is so that I don't have a boss who can fire me. I don't have anyone. Like, the only person who can fire me is the audience. If, if the audience doesn't like what I'm saying, they can choose to not listen. Otherwise, I don't have a, a network over top of me looking down and saying, don't say that, don't say that. And I, I, I love the freedom to say whatever I want. And so I, I think I'm sitting down right now because I feel this deep sadness that I'm not allowed to say what I really want to say, which is that I was really sad when all this came out about John Gruden. Uh, and I wonder, like, did I not know the real John Gruden? Maybe clearly. I mean, I've never met him. Uh, although, man, I, I loved his interviews. I, he was so entertaining to listen to. He was great on Monday Night Football. And I, I guess we're having, like, a career funeral for John Gruden where I it's just, it's over, man. Like, the we'll never see him on TV again. He's gone forever, I would assume. Uh, probably rightfully so. Um, but I just felt this... I was sitting down to write and realizing how scared I was that I might say something that was offensive or I might, I might make it seem like I'm defending him. And I started crying, and I lost it. And I'm like, huh, I should talk about this, I think. Uh, and, and maybe I'm the only one, but I wonder, like, is there anyone else out there who saw this news about John Gruden and was just, like, so torn? And, and, and torn is the wrong word. Maybe just sad. Because I, a, a person I really enjoyed watching talk about football is gone. Forever. And I think, I I, I know some people in the Raiders organization. I know people who have met him. They love him. He's a guy who loves football. He's passionate about football. And even, and even John Gruden's final act, his, his thing was, I don't want to be a distraction. Peace out. He failed as the Raiders uh, head coach. He he won one Super Bowl. You can argue that the only time John Gruden won a Super Bowl was when he got handed a team that was built by Tony Dungy. Remember, he, he got to Tampa, won that first year with a team that wasn't his, really. Um, and that's kind of been his claim to fame. So I won a Super Bowl one time. But also his enthusiasm and love for football are the thing that I, I want to— I want to choose to remember about him. I, uh, I want to read a tweet by Albert Breer. He said, also fascinating, how quickly the Gruden emails have become public. Well, all aspects of the league's investigation into Dan Snyder have remained completely private. Lesson for everyone in the difference between the people who cash the checks and those who write them. The emails were found during the investigation into the Washington football team owner, Dan Snyder. For his improper conduct, and again, yeah, the NFL released the John Gruden emails. We still do not know what Dan Snyder did or said, and I would assume it's even worse because uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's just amazing what money can buy. The NFL protects their billionaire owners. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I think Urban Myers should step down. I, I really agreed with Gr- what Gruden said. There is that you know I don't want to be a distraction. Okay, get out of there. Head coach should not be a distraction ever. Gruden was. He stepped down. Fired, really. I think they, they said either step down or we're going to fire you. Uh, Urban Meyer, I, I can't believe, hasn't had a similar thing happen. And and maybe it's wrong to even compare the two. I don't know. Uh, I'm interested to see who the Raiders hire next. They've got a good quarterback, Derek Carr. Derek Carr is like a person you could build around. They've got a great stadium there, a brand-new stadium in Vegas. I would assume this Raiders job is really attractive, um, but I ultimately sat down because I I just I I felt so emotional when I started thinking about what I can say and what I can't say and what will what 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 if what if I cover the story and I lose my job and I don't want that to happen, but I, I have to say like I I was sad. I can't be the only person who. Like started tuning in, said, Huh, John Gruden said that and that and and maybe betrayed or heartbroken, like huh, this person who I held in such high regard, not what I thought it was, and um I don't know, I don't know we we uh <sighs> I don't know how I'm going to cover the story. I have no idea. I I just uh, I feel very conflicted, um, and sad. So I encourage everyone to listen to the full episode because there are little details that are missed when you watch only the small breakouts for this show. I want to read two more tweets. Uh, you know, first of all, number one, Brandon Perna from That's Good Sports. I've never interacted with him, but I he's friends with Tom Grassi, so he must be great. Brandon Perna tweeted, he said, it is, after all, a great bit of irony that John Gruden's final game as a Raider was a loss to Khalil Mack. <laughs> that's kind of funny. Remember, John Gruden famously traded him away and didn't really want him when he was hired as a head coach. Uh, that's funny to me. Also, uh, by the way, another thought, too, is that the news like that kind of ended John Gruden's career happened during a Monday Night Football broadcast, which was John Gruden's former job. And, and I want to say, like, Don't get it twisted. I, I, as a kid, was a fan of John Gruden. I really liked, you know, um, Gruden's QB camp was really influential to me as a young quarterback. And, like, let's be clear, when he left Monday Night Football, it was not the same. So I, you can, you know, say, you know, point out someone's flaws and also acknowledge that some things in the past, like, I have good memories with John Gruden, which makes me feel even weirder. And uh, my friend Harrison called me earlier and compared it to liking Chris Brown music, but realizing that Chris Brown is, like, a terrible person. Another tweet I want to read. It's from Tom Grossi, another friend friend of the show. I love. I absolutely love Tom Grossi, One of my favorite humans. Uh, Just you can tell. I've met him, been to his house in New York. Had a really good heart. Tom Grossi said, "When you work for a private entity like the NFL, you are beholden to their rules and regulations." Gruden said some awful stuff, and because of that, he's out of a job. That's not cancel culture. That's consequences. So, yeah, I, I encourage anyone go to your job and make the, you know, send emails to your coworkers similar to what John Gruden sent. It's a bit funny that ESPN isn't like acknowledging part of the story, which is that, remember, John Gruden worked for them when these emails were sent. Um, although, and again, I, I want to repeat this I think A lot of people don't realize this is not one email from 10 years ago. This is a, a bunch of emails over the span of seven years. One mistake, I, I've made mistakes that I, I hope people forgive if they ever come out. Uh, but if I had a pattern of you know, repeated you know, being awful as a human being, I I would hope that would be not forgiven. And um, you know, I, I I just man, it's it's a hard topic to cover. I hope I did the right thing by covering this and the way I cover it. Again, Gruden's QB camp is a fond memory I have. Watching, I remember Russell Wilson's Gruden QB camp. I was like, man, I love this guy. And uh, also, anyone criticizing me for crying, I I encourage you to cry. It feels great. I you know, I, it's made my life better. And I I hope you realize I wasn't crying because John Gruden was fired. I was crying because I had this stress of how to cover this, and I was like, "Man, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm so afraid of losing my job, like all the time, and I, I don't want that to happen." So, uh, crying is great. I recommend everyone do it. Ten out of ten, it's fantastic. Uh, I also don't know. I, I help people realize I don't like covering this stuff. Like I, I still don't know what I'm gonna do. At some point, someday, we're gonna get more real news about Deshaun Watson. He's gonna get traded or try to come back, and I. Like what do, I guess I I got I'm gonna have to cover that at some point. I I don't like covering stories like this. Urban Meyer, John Gruden, Deshaun Watson. I I want to talk about football. I really I love football. I don't like this stuff that's on the periphery. Um, and I guess ignoring it though, like to, to not acknowledge like a head coach in the NFL getting fired. That's a little, I can't just ignore it completely. Um, but I, I want to encourage people: don't say bad stuff in private. You know, don't don't make jokes. Don't just don't don't be shitty and don't say dumb stuff, bad stuff. Especially, don't say it in writing. Everyone should learn a lesson from John Gruden. And I look back on my life. I'm like, I know I've done, I've sent dumb texts where I'm like, oh, I hope that never comes out. Like, I I, I don't want to be a hypocrite here, but I encourage everyone, don't do it. And I want it clear. I I, I again, Urban Meyer, John Gruden. This stuff is hard to talk about because I I feel compelled to say it, like I I'm a human too I make mistakes I'm not perfect uh and if it was one mistake 10 years ago for John Gruden truly that's forgivable but it's it's way more than that and I also want to say in a weird way I, I think this could help Derek Carr the Raiders quarterback John Gruden is really really tough and I think Derek Carr might do better with a coach who's got a different style and embraces him a little more is more encouraging John Gruden is just really kind of a the word is like a hard ass. He's really tough to play for, especially if you're his quarterback and he's got these complicated play calls and he's really tough. And I you know, I, I heard I think he built a house next to Derek Carr. It's like they've been buddy buddy, but I still know that I, I think Derek Carr might be better off with a new coach who's got a different approach. It might help him. So I don't know. I I, I hope I covered this in a way that people respect. I this stuff is not easy for me. I, I, again, I'm I'm a football guy, and so I people don't look to me to make a dissertation about and break down racism. I, I know that, right? Like I, uh, I I want to talk football, and the sooner we can get back to football, let's do that. So let's now talk about college football. There are nine things I want to highlight from college football week six. Number one is this: unranked Texas A&M beat number one ranked Alabama forty-one to thirty-eight. Uh, first of all, great win by Texas A&M. That's fantastic. They deserve a ton of credit. Texas A&M led 24-10 at halftime. They hit the game-winning field goal at the end to win. Jimbo Fisher, their head coach, a guy who won a, a national title at Florida State. Like Jimbo is trying to build this Texas A&M program and uh, so far, this is his signature win, beating Alabama. An unranked Texas A&M team, he's a head coach. He beats number one Alabama. Very cool, very exciting for him and for Texas A&M. Now, as crazy as this sounds, losing this game, I think actually might be a good thing for Alabama. Like I, I saw that happen on Saturday and I called my dad. I'm like, we're, we're on the phone like, hey, we think Alabama just won the national title. And you would say like, what? How can Alabama lose to unranked Texas A&M? And it'd be a good thing. But I, I think secretly and quietly behind the scenes, I think Alabama head coach Nick Saban is happy. I think he's actually happy. You remember they were the number one team in the nation. Some of his players are making tons and tons of money, like literally millions of dollars. And I think a humbling loss and, and an inexcusable loss is something he can use. I mean, if they lose to number, if they lost to Georgia, for example, in the SEC championship game, fair enough. You got beat by a good team, but you lose to Texas A&M who's unranked. That's inexcusable. And, This is a loss that Nick Saban can now refer to all year. When guys are screwing around, he's like, hey, did you forget? Did you forget we lost to Texas A&M? Like he can always use that as motivation. And so uh, Nick Saban is too good of a coach to not use this loss to his advantage later on. And if you look ahead at Alabama's schedule, they don't play Georgia and they're not going to play Georgia until the SEC title game when the East and the West collide. And so if they can win there, if Alabama can beat Georgia in the title game for the SEC, they're going to make it into the college football playoff. And so in a weird way, I think this loss will be good for Alabama. It humbled them, and Nick Saban's going to use it to focus his team for the rest of the year. So I, I think Alabama actually is probably still going to make it into the college football playoff as a one-loss team. And we'll see. That's a prediction. We'll see what happens. But I actually I, I looked at that loss and was like, this may not be the worst thing that's ever happened to Alabama and Nick Saban. During week six, I talked about Georgia. Georgia beat Auburn 34 to 10. And uh, Georgia quarterback JT Daniels was hurt. He did not play. Now his backup, Stetson Bennett, came in and played very, very well. He was 14 for 21 passing, 231 yards, two touchdowns. And Stetson Bennett has played in and started in a lot of games in college football. But Saturday against Auburn, that's the best I've ever seen Stetson Bennett play. During his entire career and honestly it might have helped him that JT Daniels was injured because there's no threat of losing your job there's no threat of getting benched he's like hey I'm the guy I know I'm the guy so he sees the guy he's not going to hesitate pulling the trigger on a deep ball or anything like that and he played like a guy who is more free and just like saying I have nothing to lose and I thought Stetson Bennett played fantastic and it's a real storyline it's very possible that Stetson Bennett could have earned the starting job for the rest of the year for Georgia like when JT Daniels is back healthy, is he the guy? I don't know. Because that's, that's the most convincing a quarterback has looked all year for Georgia. And so uh, that's a story to keep your eye on. Is Stetson Bennett, the starting quarterback at Georgia after the Auburn game. Now, also on Saturday, Oklahoma beat Texas, University of Texas, Austin. Uh, the Red River showdown, it was crazy. By the way, Texas led this game actually 28 to seven at one point. And then, you know, early on, after having two turnovers, Oklahoma quarterback, uh, Oklahoma head coach, not quarterback, Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley benched his quarterback, a really, really talented young quarterback, Spencer Rattler, and uh, instead, true freshman quarterback Caleb Williams came in, and he led a comeback. Oklahoma won fifty-five to forty-eight, and in the end, Caleb Williams had thrown for two touchdowns, no interceptions. He also had this crazy. 66-yard touchdown run on fourth and one. Broke a tackle, got through it, and was kind of like, oh, oh my gosh, no one's around me. Ran for the rest of the field for a touchdown. And uh, I became a really big Caleb Williams Williams fan during this game. He's a way better leader than Spencer Rattler. He was encouraging his guys. He was rallying his teammates. And I got to be honest, I was not sad at all to see Spencer Rattler get benched. Spencer Rattler is not very likable. He seems very, very arrogant. And I just wonder, was this benching permanent? Is Spencer Rattler going to play in the coming weeks? I don't know. Remember, he was viewed as the top uh, you know, quarterback prospect in the entire NFL draft coming up. The upcoming NFL draft, Like a lot of people view Spencer Rattler as the best guy who's going to enter the draft. And now, he got benched. And, and all along, I've been saying, like I, I, Spencer Rattler's talent is undeniable got a massive arm but this year we've seen him play not only playing bad and making bad decisions he's immature and it's this is far from the first time you've seen a moment where Spencer Rattler looked immature and if I'm an NFL team I'm like I'm staying far far away from that guy still is wild though again it's Caleb Williams now Oklahoma's starting quarterback and could Spencer Rattler transfer would he just maybe go to the NFL early and say, I'm I'm here, let's make it happen. Like Deshaun Kaiser, I remember, was really talented. He came out of Notre Dame really early and failed. I I think I would not advise Spencer Rattler to leave now for the NFL. That seems like a terrible idea. Now, biggest question of all, if Spencer Rattler does lose his job and let's say he has to transfer, could that loss humble him and help him mature? Probably not. Spencer Rattler, I would be shocked if he use this loss and this, this benching as an opportunity to mature as a person because what he's probably going to do is blame other people and say, well, coach is unfair and suck and, and blame other people and not take accountability for the things he did wrong. But uh, it's possible. So keep your eye on what happens with Spencer Rattler. By the way, uh, this is how Texas lost to Oklahoma. This, this is crazy to me. Caleb Williams led the big comeback. Yes, he was fantastic. But Oklahoma had a 33-yard touchdown run with one second left on the clock. Like, it's unthinkable. Terrible tackling by Texas, too. (laughs) You let Oklahoma running back Kennedy Brooks not only have the game-winning touchdown run with 33 seconds left, he also had 25 carries for 217 yards and two touchdowns. Kennedy Brooks had a fantastic day. And uh, that final play, horrible, horrible tackling by Texas. That's embarrassing. Now, there was another big game. Ole Miss beat Arkansas. 52 to 51, and there were 41 points scored in the fourth quarter of this game. It was ridiculous. It was crazy. It was so much fun to watch. What it all came down to, though, was second and goal for Arkansas on the nine-yard line with one second left. And what's crazy is, you know, they were down 52 to 45, nine-yard line, one second left, and they score a touchdown. You're like, oh my gosh, Arkansas scored. We're headed to overtime. And then instead of going to overtime, they tried to go for two and they lost. And it was a, it's pretty sad. I wanted overtime. I, I was gearing up. I'm like, oh, here we go. One, two, how many overtimes is it going to take? These two teams are rolling on offense. And because uh, I, I love, I love, love, love college football overtime. But uh, Arkansas rolled the dice. They lost. They tried to go for two-point conversion. Didn't get it. Ole Miss won. And uh, a lot of people hate on Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin. I think Lane Kiffin is entertaining. Every time I watch his team play, I have a good time. His offenses are fun. He's got this quirky, like braggadocious personality. Did you see like Ole Miss on Twitter put a thing, you know, they said, did Arkansas win? And it was just a, a video of Arkansas's coach going, I, I can't remember. I think it was just no, but it, I think it was just that, but I can't remember exactly what it was. Someone can find it. Look up didarkansaswin.com and it's, it's a really funny video of Arkansas's head coach. Uh, also, crazy side note. Remember, Arkansas put up, 51 points on Ole Miss, and in my opinion, like my actual thought was, do you understand how good Georgia's defense must be? Because the same Arkansas team that put up 51 points on Ole Miss got shut out by Georgia's defense. They were like, oh, that's that's unbelievable. So this match, Georgia's no joke. They're a really good football team, and uh, I'm excited to see how they do the rest of this year. Now, uh, number three, Iowa beat number four, Penn State. Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford left the game early with an injury. Uh, When he left the game, Penn State was winning 17-3. Now, Sean Clifford threw two interceptions, sure, but his backup quarterback Taquan Roberson Roberson did not play very well. And uh, both Penn State quarterbacks, Sean Clifford and Taquan Roberson, threw two interceptions each. So yes, Iowa, between two quarterbacks, Iowa had four interceptions in this game. But even with the two picks, Sean Clifford put up 17 points and had a 17-3 to lead. So, you know, Penn State could not score without Sean Clifford in the second half, only three points in the entire second half. I just wonder, man, if Sean Clifford hadn't gotten hurt, I, I don't wonder this. I I actually kind of believe, I think Penn State might have won. Him getting injured was a difference in this football game, and I I just, man, it's such a shame. If Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt, I think Penn State beats Iowa, and Penn State would have been the undefeated team instead of Iowa. It's just an interesting, fun little what-if. Now, even though uh, that happened, and I I don't know that Iowa's win, I think Iowa's win is diminished a little bit, knowing that the opposing team's starting quarterback got injured. Still, though, I, I hope I see Iowa go undefeated. That would be very, very cool. I'm afraid that at some point this year, Iowa is going to slip up, whether it's to maybe in the Big Ten title game to lose to like Ohio State or worse could be that, you know, they pull in Oregon. Remember, Oregon lost to Stanford. I fear that is going to lose to a team like Illinois or Nebraska and just lose to a bad football team. That happens every year that you see a team that's doing so good and then they have that one bad game every team has every year and they can't recover from it. Like a one loss Iowa team is not going to make it into the college football playoff. So man, I just, I would love to see it. If Iowa made it into the college football playoff, that'd be so fun to see a different team from the big 10, make it in. And then imagine if both Iowa and Cincinnati got in, it would be fantastic. Now Cincinnati right now is the number three team in the nation. They beat Temple this week, 52 to three last week. They beat Notre Dame. And if you look at Cincinnati's final seven games, they are all winnable. They play, Central Florida, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, South Florida, a ranked SMU team is solid, and then East Carolina. So Cincinnati might go completely undefeated and really, really challenge the college football playoff selection committee. I, I would love to see Cincinnati make it into the college football playoff. That'd be really, really fun to see happen. Now, so far, there are a couple other teams that are undefeated. Kentucky is 6-0. They just beat LSU 42-21. to Next week, though, Kentucky plays Georgia, and anything's possible. Uh, I'd be shocked if Kentucky beat Georgia, though. Uh, certainly after—so let's say Kentucky loses to Georgia. Still, an 11-1 season is very, very possible for Kentucky, and they're having a great year. It'd be super cool to see them go 11-1 and win a New Year's Six bowl game. Uh, and then Michigan and Michigan State are both 6-0. and and they play each other in two weeks. They're on a collision course. I am hoping. I'm crossing my fingers and praying. I want Michigan and Michigan State to both stay undefeated until they play each other. If they're both 7-0 and going into that game, I forget what they call that. There's some word, you know, name for their rivalry game. But, man, I want, I, I'm excited to watch Michigan, Michigan State. And uh, I hope they're both undefeated going into that game. How about Jim Harbaugh? Like, having a great year coaching Michigan so far. And uh, a lot of people I remember wanted to fire him last year. So we'll, we'll see, you know, Ohio state lost to Oregon and Michigan's undefeated. And I, I don't know, like things are looking up. If you're a Michigan fan for years, he's hated on Jim Harbaugh, like doing pretty well so far this year. Finally, I want to give a shout out to Pittsburgh university quarterback. Is it, is it you pit or pit you? I don't know. Pit you seems really unfortunate. Like P U and pit you, you know, Pitt Stan And anyway, uh, Kenny Pickett, though, the quarterback at Pittsburgh, deserves a shout-out. He's played in five games this year. Pitt is 4-1. and one. They beat an SEC team, Tennessee, last week. And uh, Kenny Pickett has thrown for 1,731 yards, 19 touchdowns, only one interception. Again, that's in five games. So uh, he, this is a guy I'm getting more and more excited for film analysis videos after the year ends and preparing for the NFL draft. And right now, Kenny Pickett is a guy that I can't wait to break down this film. I'm so curious and excited to see how good is Kenny Pickett from an NFL perspective and is he an NFL guy? Because he's on my radar and he looks fantastic so far this year in college football. Okay, final topic of the day. Let's shift to college, no, not college football. We already talked about college football. Let's talk about Formula One. On Sunday, we had the Turkish Grand Prix and it was wet. It wasn't that eventful. But there are a couple things I want to talk about. First of all, Valtteri Bottas won, Max Verstappen got second, Sergio Perez got third, Charles Leclerc for Ferrari got fourth, and then Lewis Hamilton for Mercedes got fifth place. And I want to start by praising Red Bull's second driver, Sergio Perez. During lap 35, he had an amazing battle with Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton, where he held off Lewis, he defended his own position, and more importantly, he kept Lewis behind him, which... Like, finally, we saw Sergio Perez make an impact as the number two driver for Red Bull. That is why Red Bull brought him in. They wanted him and hoped he would be the great number two driver that Max Verstappen needed in his quest for a Formula One title. Like, if Max Verstappen wins the world title this year, he can partly say, hey, thanks to my buddy and number two driver, Sergio Perez, for helping me out at times. And what happened in this race in Turkey was Sergio Perez created a buffer. Between Lewis and Max, almost all race. It was fantastic. And uh, you remember last year, I remember so many times where Max Verstappen was alone against the two Mercedes cars, Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton. So in Turkey, he finally got some help. That was cool to see. Now, Lewis actually did get pole position in qualifying of this race. However, he got a 10-place grid penalty for replacing his engine. So Lewis uh, started 11th. and, And normally, by the way, doing that, replacing your engine, normally... That puts you at the back of the grid. However, he only replaced some of the parts of his engine. He replaced, uh, because he did that and and replaced part and not the whole engine, it only gave him a 10-place grid penalty. So that's what happened, why he was 11th, rather than starting at the back of the grid. Now, drama came for Lewis Hamilton at the end of the race. On lap 42 of 58, Mercedes told Lewis to pit stop, and uh, he ignored them. Later, he did have to come in and pit on lap 51, way after everyone else did, and it put him behind it. He lost positioning from third to fifth, and uh, he could not recover from that pit stop. His, he briefly had a, a nice moment, and then his tire settled in, and he, he just could not recover and couldn't pass Charles Leclerc for fourth or get up to third. And uh, the strategy was a weird unforced error for Mercedes and for Lewis Hamilton. And after the race during post-game interviews, first of all, Mercedes boss Toto Wolff said that Lewis should have come in really on lap 42 when the team wanted him to come in initially. And then during Lewis's interview, Lewis said that with hindsight, he should have either come in much earlier on lap 42 as as Toto Wolff referred to, or frankly, not come in at all. Esteban Ocon for Alpine did not come in the entire race. He, he did not pit stop once during the race. Remember, it was wet. Everyone was on intermediate tires. The rules are different on intermediate tires. And in theory... Lewis Hamilton could have gone the entire race without needing a pit stop. Now the problem is if you don't stop, you risk blowing your tire and a DNF would have ruined everything. If Lewis Hamilton had simply not finished the race, he would have missed out on all the points he got anyway. And going you know, going from third to fifth is a is a five point you know loss. You can't miss out on ten points and not get any position and DNF in the race. So either way, I think pitting when he did was a problem and, and an unforced error for Lewis Hamilton. But again, I I remind you, fifth place instead of third is a five-point gap, and it's still way better than completely not finishing the race. However, if Lewis Hamilton does not win the world title this year and Max Verstappen wins the world championship, I think this race in Turkey is going to come back and haunt Lewis Hamilton. He's going to think about all the times where, like, man, that was a missed opportunity, that Sunday in Turkey, that rainy day. It was also weird, I got to say, Mercedes usually does a really good job communicating with Valtteri Bo Dawson, especially with Lewis Hamilton. And I thought they did a poor job giving the information to Lewis. Like I felt like Lewis Hamilton, while he was trying to make a decision to pit, wasn't given enough info to make a proper decision. And uh, now after the race, the, the constructor standings right now uh, go like this. Mercedes is Mercedes is in first place. Mercedes has 433.5 points. Then Red Bull is in second with 397.5 points. Then you have McLaren in third with 240 points. And Ferrari in fourth with 232.5 points. Then Alpine, the gap is massive to Alpine. Alpine's in fifth with 104 points. But the real story here, the, the thing that I'm like, oh my goodness, it's going to be an incredible finish in Formula 1. Here are the driver standings. You have in first place, Max Verstappen with the 262.5 points. Then in second, you have Lewis Hamilton- with 256.5 points, then a gap, then Valtteri Bottas in third with 177 points, Landon Norris in fourth with 145 points and Sergio Perez with 135 points. Max right now is 6 points ahead of Lewis with 6 races left to go this year. We got coming up we have the USA, I think it's in Texas this year, then Mexico, then Brazil, then Qatar, then Saudi Arabia, then Abu Dhabi. And so we have this crazy finish ahead in formula when we're building and building and building and building and look, a six-point gap can be overcame and i just wonder man like first of all are they are we going to get a clean finish could it be a situation where one crashes the other in order to win the world title i don't know that that would be insane uh but the other question is will this turkish grand prix haunt lewis hamilton later where i, I he could i think had a better place in this race than he did and Again, you don't want to risk blowing your tires, so it was maybe the right call to come in and pit, but he probably shouldn't have pit when he did. He probably should have done it much earlier to stay competitive with Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc. And I just, I wonder, is Turkey going to be something we look back on later and go, that race right there, that Sunday, that was a missed opportunity for Lewis Hamilton, and will it cost him the world championship? I don't know, but uh, I'm, like in the sports world right now, football's good you know, we're week five, uh, five of 18 and we're in the middle of NFL season and things are going really well, but I I just, I can't help but quietly my own little heart. Like I, dude, the way that F1 is going to end this year is going to be incredible. And I'm not, you know, I know most of my audience is here for you know football and NFL talk, but I just, as a, as a F1 fan, I'm sitting here going like, this is going to be a special year. Every week it gets better and it, it builds more and more, and it's just going to be an incredible finish to the year in Formula One. All right, guys, that is all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. Film analysis later this week. I'm working hard. Uh, I, I, Paul, again, I, I did a whole talk. I'm, I'm sorry this episode came out on Tuesday rather than, you know, in theory, it would have been half of the show came out on Monday, half of the show came out on Tuesday. Instead, we got a long episode, and hope you had a good time. I love you. I appreciate you. Ba dum bum. Bam, we are done.